Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here on a Tuesday. Let's make it April 11th. So glad you've joined us. We are making our way through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And we are up to that section where Jesus begins to lay out what life in his new kingdom is to look like. What, what are his citizens, those who claim him as Lord, how are they then to live their lives? And so let's read the passage for this morning and pick back up where we left off from yesterday. Just, just uh, four short little verses here, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this introduces the first major piece of teaching, uh, not only in the Sermon on the Mount, but on the Gospel of Matthew. And what Jesus is keen to tell us here in this section um, is, is a forecast for us what his intentions are. It's, it's to tell us what he has come to do and what he has not come to do, particularly as it relates to the law. Now, we have to remember um, that at the time of Jesus's, the, the inauguration of his public ministry, um, there was no king over Israel. Um, there was only the priesthood. Um, and there were no prophets, okay, or at least until John the Baptist showed up, which meant um, on a large scale that the, the, the people of Israel had been through 400 years of silence, okay, and this would have been marked the time that they had returned from the exile in Babylon to when the last of the Old Testament prophets had spoken to them, and up until the point of John the Baptist, during those 400 years, no one had spoken. Um, God had not spoken um, through a prophet. There was no new revelation. There was no, there was no new visions. Um, there was no new appearings until John came. Well, what happened during those 400 years in Second Temple Judaism, and the reason we call it Second Temple Judaism, remember that the first temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 um, BC, and that when the Israelites came back from Babylon, um, they began to, they, they rebuilt the, the temple the second time, hence the second temple. Well, during this time, um, the temple began to be gradually built and expanded, particularly under um, King Herod's leadership. That's a whole nother, a whole nother piece. Herod, not the king just of Israel, but he was the puppet king, right, Herod the Great, um, under Rome. And he was, re, he was adding on, building to the, to the temple to curry favor with the Jews over which he ruled. Well, it was during this second temple um, period, when there was no word from the Lord, that the Pharisees rose to power. 
And originally, um, their their mission, their heart, their intent, okay, in in their leadership was to keep Israel faithful, was to teach them the law, was to teach the people the law. Remember, there 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 had been no um, temple while they were in exile, and so they hence the 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 they started the synagogue. And so now there were synagogues all over Israel um, who were now taught by Pharisees, led by Pharisees uh, and scribes, to help Israel understand the law. And because there was no, no prophets in this time, the Pharisees began over time to accumulate an extraordinary amount of power and prominence in Second Temple Judaism. And by the time Jesus comes on board, okay, there has been built not just a whole class of religious leaders called Pharisees, but a whole class of interpretation, right? And what this meant was that there was both the law, okay, um, and um, the Midrash, or which was the interpretation of the law, or the Helakha, which was sort of the... Um, all the things that were added to the law, but treated like the law by the Pharisees, okay? This would have been, um, you know, the scriptures give certain stipulations in the Old Testament, for example, about how to honor the Sabbath. Well, the, the Pharisees uh, took those commands and they began to add human traditions to them, things that they recommended that you do in order to, be, to faithfully fulfill that particular command. So, what had happened, long story short, we're going to be back to the text here in a second, over a long, long period of time, there had been built a whole tradition that was had attached itself to the law, things that were not in the Old Testament, but which were kind of inferential to the Old Testament, which the Pharisees held up as authoritative, just as authoritative as the Old Testament law itself. And it's into that context that Jesus speaks when he says that he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets, he's come to fulfill them. And here, what Jesus is going to be doing in this next section on the sermon is teaching the correct interpretation of the law and how one is to rightly interpret the law, while at the same time showing how he himself is what the law has been pointing to the whole time. So let's, one thing that I asked you to do last time was to begin to go through Matthew and note all the times that um, we see the word righteousness. And so, so if you look down at verse 24, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And some have taken that to mean well, unless you're more holy than the, the scribes and Pharisees, you aren't getting into heaven. Unless you do more good works, unless you're more obedient. And that's confusing because that seems to run counter to this idea of works righteousness, that we are saved by grace. And we're, we're trying to understand how, how do we make sense of this? Well, one, one way, one verse, if you, if you scroll down to... Um, the end of Matthew 5, 48, um, you will see this word again, okay? And, and let, me, let me read it for you. 
In fact, let's start at verse 43 because it'll give us a sense of what Jesus is doing here. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you do? What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word for perfect, that's the same one that we see here in our passage this morning. It's the word righteous. And what Jesus means by righteousness in Matthew's gospel is not perfection. What Jesus means by righteousness is wholehearted being, wholehearted behavior. This sense that the inward and the outward match, that there is a consistency between what I do and what I say. There's a consistency between the way I live my life and what's going on in my heart. And what Jesus is aiming to do, okay, and what, he, what he's telling us in these four verses he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he's showing people that what God is, it's not that God's not interested in his law. Oh, very much he is, okay? It's just that God's not in, um, interested in mere external obedience to the law by someone whose heart remains utterly corrupt. In other words, it's not just about, quote unquote, doing the right thing. It's about doing what pleases God and honors God that flows from the heart. So when Jesus tells us that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes, that's not an exaggeration. That's not a hyperbole. What he's saying is that the scribes and the Pharisees did everything for the sake of being seen by men. They did everything for the sake of of being outwardly affirmed by other people by what they do, by the way they prayed, the way they gave, the way they dressed. And we, we have a sense that this is what Jesus is boring into by the way he engages the Pharisees all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. There is always a confrontation over the law where the, where the Pharisees are saying, wait a minute, you're doing X, Y, and Z, and our traditions of the law say you can't do X, Y, and Z. You're breaking the law. Well, what Jesus is doing here is saying, no, 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 no. I haven't come here to break the law, right? I've come to show its proper fulfillment. I've, I've come to show its proper exercise. I'm here to show you the guts of the law, what the law is all about, and it's all about a transformed heart before God. So look, turn, flip over in your Bibles to the end of Matthew. And this is one of the most famous sections of Matthew, Matthew 26. Jesus has this um, throwdown with the Pharisees at, on the footsteps of the temple. And I said 26, and I'm now embarrassing myself. And I think it's going to be, maybe it's 23. Yeah, there we go, 23. So Matthew 23, and in your Bibles, it might say the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees, okay? So listen to what Jesus says, and this gives us a sense of what he's getting at in the sermon. 
Verse 1 of chapter 23, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move, move them with one finger, with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. So that in a in essence is, is the case against the Pharisees. They teach certain things, but they don't do those things for the right reason. They do them to be seen by others. And Jesus is calling us back in um, the Sermon on the Mount to wholehearted obedience. And remember, on, the only way wholehearted obedience can happen is by a transformed, changed heart. And the, and the Pharisees didn't have that because they felt that they themselves were the righteous standard versus God and his word. They were sort of the masters of the law. And Jesus has come to say, no, 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 you're not the masters of the law. I'm the master of the law. And what we don't want to take from this is that Jesus is advocating some sort of antinomianism or a disregarding of the law. He has actually come to fulfill it. And we're going to, tomorrow, we're going to pick back up right at that place. What does it mean when it says that Jesus fulfills the law? Um, what is the law and how does Jesus fulfill it? That's where we're going. But for today, pray that God would give you a wholehearted devotion to him. And let's um, rejoice in his grace when that doesn't happen. Um, and let's ask God to give us those new hearts to run after him with, uh, with a changed perspective of repentance and faith in him. All right, let's pray. We'll be done for the day. Lord, thanks for this time. And um, give us continued insight and wisdom into your word, how we apply it to our lives, how we interpret it. Lord, we pray that um, you would align the inward and the outward in us and that we would lean upon your grace when we fail even in that. And Lord, we ask and we thank you most of all that Jesus was the perfect example for us, did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's in his name that we trust and pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.